when it comes to fats and carbs, I rarely give, rarely ever give numbers. Um, just because when we're thinking fat loss outcomes, it's really the calories in versus calories out aspect that matters. And then with a secondary emphasis on protein, just from satiety and muscle retention. So it does have an impact on kind of the body composition outcome, at least of a fat loss phase. Everything else is preference. Kia ora friends, welcome back again to the Vegan Body Coach Podcast. It has been far too long. It's now 2023 and it was a little while ago that I put out the last episode, so my apologies. Um, but that's just the way it is. It's been a um, mental 2022 and probably not going to be any different for 2023 for me. So I'm going to do my best to get out the rest of season three over the next couple of months uh, and then take a bit of a break. But there's some big episodes coming up, so stick around. The voice you heard was Leah Heigl, also known as Plant Strong Dietitian. And on today's show, Leah's back for round two for this season, and she's going to join me in tackling, as best we can in one episode, the ins and outs of successful fat loss. If you've been around this podcast for a little bit, you may remember I did a solo episode way back in 2020 during COVID uh, lockdown, where I covered some of the key components of fat loss. And to be fair, that that episode has actually aged really well. So I recommend heading back and giving that a jam if you enjoy this episode. But with that said, it has been a little while since we've covered practical fat loss tips on this podcast. And with Leah's previous episode uh, on the biggest mistakes in plant-based eating being such a hit with you guys, it was a no-brainer for me to get Leah back on for a hugely nuanced and contextual topic like fat loss. Anyway, I'm not going to use up any more of your time. There's a there's a pretty big uh, episode coming up for you, um, and we cover a stack in this one. It's absolutely jammed with practical stuff, so stick with us. Don't go glazing over on your commute home. Get your finger on the back 10 seconds button so you don't miss any of the goods in this episode. Let's do it. This is episode 46 with Leah Heigl. How are you doing, Leah? Welcome back. Good. Thank you for having me back. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the last, the episode we did has is, is been a bit of a hot rocket. Like it's, um, people are loving it. So you're becoming a bit of a crowd favorite. So yes yes absolutely i think i don't know people would probably just love the the way you spoke about the subjects we talked about and um gave really good practical advice which is i guess what this um episode is going to be about as well but before mm. we get into that what's uh what's summer been like for you what have you been up to oh gosh not not a lot i spent like the summer holidays over christmas doing nothing but like trying to get over like some burnout from last year yeah. so I think like just needed to fully refresh for the new year. So that's kind of been my summer. Yeah, I love that. What do you do to like to refresh? Like what's your relaxation uh, kind of go-tos? Yeah, so basically for me, it's just like getting everything off my calendar. So I like took three mm. weeks off work completely, like 100%, no emails, nothing, wow. um, which is the first time in a couple of years. So I think that, that felt really good yeah. um, and just spent a lot of time with friends. That's cool. It's actually that's actually a really hard thing to do though, like in like your profession as well, right? To actually take three weeks off because you're you're working with people 
online mm-hmm. as well or just in person? Most of my clients are online. So I'd say mm-hmm. like 90% of my my client load is online, then 10% in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, like you have these people relying on you to kind of always just be around if they need you. So it's like really hard for me to take a few weeks off and be like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, like leave me to your own devices, like because I hate yeah. doing it. Um, but luckily, I have like the best clients. So they're all like, please take your time That's and cool. come back and, and when you're feeling better. Yeah, it's such a tricky period as well because even for myself, I took a week off from like doing my usual uh, client chickens because I was going to yeah. be away and like I've never done that before. Usually, I'm like, no, I'll make it work and I'll get up. I'll get <laughs> yes. up at like 4 a.m. and I'll do all my work before like the day's adventures start, like if I'm away with friends or whatever. But this week, this this year, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the full week and it was super sick just waking up every day for a whole week and not have anything to do. And not um, have any work. Because even if you're doing like an hour of work in that day, it's like, oh, I still have some work to do and you don't get a full mental like break. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And it's it's still tricky though because I find, you know, this is one of those periods in the year where people potentially need a lot of help or, or just guidance or, yeah. you know. Um, and so I feel like, oh, like do I really want to, you know, let them kind of – do their own thing for an entire week, which is nothing really. Like not much is going to happen in a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even like doing my check-ins the following week after that, I was like, man, I feel like I haven't talked to you in ages. Like, but it's like literally been a week. It's um, been a week. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. no, and like nothing happens. Like it's totally fine. It's not, you know, it's, you know, we're dealing with adults. It's not like they're going to, you know, fully like just crumple into nothing. But yeah. um and hopefully through the coaching process, like I've taught them something about being Yeah, autonomous. hopefully we've, <laughs> we've set them up enough to like take care of themselves for a week or two without our assistance. But, you know, I think as coaches, we feel a little guilty. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, you're right. It's so, so important for you to recognize, okay, like last year was massive. Um, I need to take some time out. I need to fully just block out everything and just do whatever do whatever i need to do to to feel content happy relaxed um and and ready for the next year do you feel ready for this year yeah i came back to work just feeling like ready to take on the year um which i was like oh thank goodness it worked i was a bit worried <laughs> that i needed yeah. more time um but yeah 100 percent like ready to get into it Oh, that's so cool. Well, I mean, we can dive straight into this one. I think this is going to mm. be um, an episode that um, it, it could be a slightly longer one because I think we both have probably a lot to say about the particular topic. But um, yeah. it's actually a topic, surprisingly, I haven't talked about on the podcast for a long time. Like I did an original kind of fat loss episode, a solo one back in 2020 when it was like the the peak of – COVID lockdown and Mm -hmm. I was just doing some solo episodes and kind of covered like my overarching kind of components of like, I guess, a successful fat loss uh, plan. But I thought it'd be a great thing to dive into again with you, Leah, because obviously you've probably got a lot of experience in this as well. Um, And we can kind of go back and forth on how we actually would you know, talk through a client's fat loss goals and yep. set them up with an appropriate kind of strategy, plan, program, whatever, to put them in the in the, in the right direction. Um, with I guess the goal being yes, some kind of success in terms of their goals, but also 
I think the most important part of, of any fat loss, uh, any fat loss strategy is, okay, what are we going to do afterwards? Like how do we maintain totally. this long term? Um, and that probably is a topic for a whole nother episode, but, um, <laughs> you know, the, the weight maintenance is just so incredibly important. And I, I kind of like beat it to death with my clients, uh, mm-hmm. because I'm like, yeah, we can, we can achieve a result. That's not too difficult. Um, but you know, the stats show us that the majority of people aren't able to maintain that long term. So, um, mm-hmm. I guess we can start, uh, with my initial question, Leah, for you is around the idea of, fat loss um whether you know you have a you have a client coming to you with a fat loss goal but in your opinion from your perspective do you feel um i guess that excess fat or excess adiposity is actually an issue in the first place um is this something that we actually should be uh focusing on as a population yeah i think that's that's a pretty Big question. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a big one to start with. Uh, Obviously, like having excess body fat, particularly around our organs from a health perspective, does increase our risk of chronic disease long term. So things like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, etc. So I think having excess body fat, yeah, for most of us is going to be an issue. Whether or not someone chooses to lose body fat, I think is a very personal choice. Like this is just coming from like me and my perspective on it. Like um, I, when a client comes to me, I'm focused on what they want as a goal. I will never push fat loss as a goal, even if they're say they have a higher BMI or a higher body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, if they ask my opinion, would it be healthier for me to be leaner? I will give my opinion based on the statistics and where they're sitting. Um, but I think like there are ways that we can improve our health that are not body fat, body weight related. So if you're looking at improving your health, sure, if you have excess body fat, losing that body fat is probably going to be beneficial to you. But knowing the pretty dire statistics on long-term weight maintenance, once weight loss has occurred, and the fact that weight loss and fat loss is pretty hard, like it's pretty difficult for a lot of people. I think there are other ways that we can also improve health. So whether it's living less sedentary lives, just generally improving your dietary quality, even if that is not with weight loss, it's still going to be a huge improvement in long-term health outcomes. Mm. Um, So I guess I have a pretty complex view on that, but I really try to take like each person in front of me and kind of treat them just as an individual, right? Mm. Rather than saying, yes, everybody with excess body fat should have the main goal of losing body fat. Um, I don't think that's particularly helpful. So Mm. it's going to be a very individual thing. Yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, it's an incredibly (laughs) complex um, question in the first place. So it has to be a complex answer um, and a nuanced answer, but I loved, I loved many points you, you brought up there. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, They'll, they'll come to a coach like us regardless and say, I want to lose body fat. Um, but a lot of that, in my view, is just pure social conditioning. Like they just feel like yeah. they should be looking a certain way. Um, and for the reality, like the reality for most of those people is that 
they're actually probably metabolically healthy. They're probably fine. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're holding a little bit of extra body fat around the common areas for males and females, um, which is, you know, probably totally fine and potentially even a, a good thing to have for a lot of people is just that low, you know, it's just a low level of body fat that they're holding. They're probably really metabolically healthy. Like they've got great blood panels, lipids are fine. Um, yeah. Blood pressure is low. Like they're, you know, they're able to, you know, that that exercising to some extent they're probably eating like a decent diet and it's like that then purely becomes more of a cosmetic goal like i there's a certain ideal that i i want to look a certain way which is a very different situation than someone coming to you who does actually have you know some level of like underlying illness whether it may just be a Mm -hmm. high blood pressure or it's elevated cholesterol or it's actually pre-diabetes or something like this where Mm -hmm. we know that yes a even a small amount of weight loss in that individual will have huge benefit on the metabolic health like you know five percent of their body weight or even ten percent of their body weight would have drastic effects and for that person it's probably a worthwhile attempt at achieving some kind of weight loss, but it's, it's kind of like, I guess it's two different goals and isn't it? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and probably a lot of the people we will both work with and a lot of the people listening to this podcast are probably going to be more so in the former of like, uh, I'm probably kind of like decently healthy human, but I want to look a certain way. Um, how do you approach that goal with your clients? Like, how do you, I guess, uh, approach the goal setting side of someone who's like, I want to lose this amount of body fat, or I want to be this percentage body fat, or I want to look like this. Yeah, I think that's a good question because I always try to understand someone's why and their like motivating factor behind fat loss. Because I think if you Generally, you can't tap into like a really good motivating factor. Fat loss is going to be pretty difficult for you because like I have a, a quite a lot of clients that come to me and like it is that social conditioning of like, oh, I need to because I work with a lot of athletes and like, oh, I need to look leaner so people see me as an athlete um, regardless of like performance or health, etc. Um, and I'm like, mm, what people think of you is probably not like the best motivating factor. Like that's probably not what is going to get you to the finish line. But, you know, um, I guess, yeah, first thing first for me is always understanding someone's why, especially if it's coming from an area of like disordered eating or poor body image. Um, I think that's when I probably need to like take a step back with them and delve deeper into that why. Um, but, you know, I, I have no issue with someone wanting to lose body fat just for the sake of aesthetics. Like I don't Mm. think that is an issue at all, given that they have a pretty good healthy relationship with food already. And, you know, they don't have too much, you know, body image issues going on. Um, So yeah, the, the why for me is huge. And like when someone comes to me initially, like that's something we'll look into pretty deeply as Mm. a starting point. Yeah. I think the why is, is, is so important. As you say, I guess what would be, um, it's probably a hard one to think on the spot, but what would be like an appropriate why for somebody who's, who's wanting to, you know, look a certain way. I don't know if it has to be an appropriate why it just has to be like a why that I don't think is going to contribute to poor mental health outcomes for them. Cause mm-hmm. I don't want to contribute to that process. So it's just kind of going, okay, is this person capable of going through a fat loss process without it harming them? I think that's important. Yeah. Um, 
And then outside of that, is there why, like, is it going to be motivating enough to get them from point A to point B? Because I think we both know, like, people struggle with fat loss. Like, it's not an easy thing to do a lot of the time. Mm. Um, You have to push through certain levels of hunger. You might have to increase your activity. There are lifestyle changes, maybe not as many social events, drinking, et cetera. Like you have to make sacrifices to get from point A to B. Um, And I don't think if, I think a lot of people just have like a why of like, I just want to lose a few kilos for no particular reason. Um, (laughs) And they're going to struggle to get from point A to point B a lot of the time. So I like to address that, you know, initially um, so that we don't have this issue of not getting the outcome they wanted. Mm. it's probably the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation isn't it it's this idea you know like you said you you shouldn't be having this goal because you need to look a certain way for other people's expectations of you that would be extrinsically motivated you're you're motivated by someone else's um expectations of how you should look intrinsically motivation is 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 more so like I want to do this for me and like for whatever reason that might be for whatever even if it is like I just want to look leaner because that'll make me feel better Mm -hmm. like body image wise like I have an issue with that I do that at times (laughs) um but like as long as it's coming from you and it's not someone kind of pushing that onto you yeah it's kind of it's also going back to like yeah you can totally have that goal like you said that's totally fine but you have to approach that with knowing that whether you achieve that or not, it's not going to affect your worth as a human. You know what I mean? Like I had an episode with um, Shannon Beer last year, I believe, or maybe the year before talking all about kind of like body positivity and, and kind of how we can approach this, this kind of like this paradigm of like, well, or this paradox, I should say of of fat loss, but also having self worth um, Mm -hmm. and knowing that, yeah, there's so much more to you than just how you look and, and the level of leanness you achieve, you can still have that goal, but it's not going to, it's not going to change, you know, your value in the world. Yeah. Like even if you happen to gain weight after the fact, if that's going to be something that like destroys your self-worth, if you happen to gain weight in the future, then I think there's probably some things we need to like take a step back and look at, um, in terms of what your why is and your motivating factors. Mm. Is there anyone that you work with or that has come to you where you would caution them against entering a fat loss phase? Yeah, I feel like that happens like quite often where I'm like, "Mm, look, your relationship with food, not awesome. (laughs) Um, Maybe they just throw up a lot of red flags that Mm. kind of show that maybe they've been doing a bit of like restrict and binge or maybe not like not binge eating but there has been like a restrictive binge cycle is quite common from people who continuously try to um to go through fat loss phases um or maybe it's just that they demonize certain foods or the body image stuff like they could just be throwing up quite a lot of red flags to me that goes i think there's something we probably need to work on here before we can actually do a healthy fat loss phase that isn't going to continue to degrade your relationship with food yeah, almost approaching like, hey, let's let's kind of have a goal of maintaining weight for the next, you know, month, yeah. two months, whatever. Work on our our relationship with our food. Work on our, um, you know, eating regularly and eating at a specific amount that's like not crazy high, not crazy low. Just getting into a really good routine of you know, kind of maintenance habits, and then maybe can address a fat loss phase later in the course of the coaching um, program. 
Um, totally. An- another question I had was just in relation to like actual goal setting. Uh, I know there's many different approaches to goal setting and most clients will come looking for, you know, most people are looking for a specific amount of, of weight loss, right? 10 kilos, five kilos, whatever it may be. Um, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. Cause I'm like, well, the number's kind of irrelevant. Like it's kind of arbitrary. Like people are just like, oh, five kilos, 10 kilos, whatever. Like it doesn't yeah. really matter. It's more about like they're trying to achieve a specific look usually or a way they want to feel. So usually I'm like, that's cool. Let's set 10 kilos, but we're just going to monitor it as we go. And we're going to adapt it based on what you actually want, because they have no idea how they're going to feel or look when they lose 10 totally. kilograms if they've never achieved that before. Um, and then I, I, so I'm like, cool, let's set that as a goal. Let's like, let's keep them motivated working towards something that's kind of specific. Mm-hmm. But really my goal is throughout that process to more so change their identity and their value system so that, yeah, we're achieving a specific goal for them, but really underlying whether they know it or not, we're actually trying to change their identity to the, the kind of person yeah. who, you know, implements these behaviors and these habits not because they have to but because they want to it's it's who they are now and that's really my underlying goal for my clients is to sort of almost um sneakily change who they are i don't know how you approach it with your clients but <laughs> yeah, yeah. how do you approach that sort of goal setting situation yeah i think goal setting is definitely going to be different for every client like there i i work with a lot of weight class like sport athletes who need to be a certain weight at certain times so that our goals are very specific about scale weight in those cases right um but there might be other athletes who are not weight making athletes but body composition is really important for their performance and how how they're going to perform um on race day etc event day um so we might use like dexa scans and body fat percentage and muscle mass on a dexa scan as ways to track like data points as well as scale weight um but other times i do like i guess with more gen pop um people so people that aren't athletes or who are just like generally active and coming to me for fat loss we may have like a specific scale weight loss goal um if that's something like they come to me with a number i will mm-hmm. never try to like set a number if they don't kind of already have that in their head right, yes. um, but i try to put goals alongside that um so i mean with scale weight i always try to explain that it is a bit of an arbitrary thing like we yeah like you said we can have it as as part of our goals and we can just adapt it as we go um but i try to have less um i guess like less specific goals in terms of okay, in this like 12 weeks, we also want to see an improvement in our relationship with food. We want to, you know, do X, Y, and Z along with this fat loss goal. So it's not just the focus on like this one outcome. Because if you don't succeed in that one outcome, like then you just feel like a huge failure. failure. Like you might have a fat loss goal and you get six weeks in and okay, nowhere near your fat loss goal, but you've made so many inroads with your lifestyle Mm. and how you approach exercise and food. And we need a way of looking back on that goal and going, well, this is, this was a goal and you've achieved this. Mm. So that's still a huge win. Um, So I think having those, those other goals that aren't just that scale weight goal is really important. Yeah, it's coming back to what we mentioned before regarding that, you know, it, it's it's not all about losing weight. There are many other benefits, health benefits you can have mm-hmm. through 
a dietary and lifestyle intervention, working with a coach that are going to have massive improvements on your health, you know, whether it just be, you know, your, your social life or whether it be um, improvements in just your daily movement, your daily activity, um, your, you know, dietary adequacy, like your, you know, quality of your diet, all these types of things that you can improve on. Um, so yeah, I really like that cause it's kind of like going, well, yeah, the fat loss thing was really hard. Maybe I didn't quite get to where I wanted to be. Um, you know, and then for certain individuals that I work with as well, it's like, yeah, they actually, um, find fat loss far, far harder than other people. Maybe they're a, you know, maybe they're a 50 kilogram female who, you know, is, li- who's, you know, working a purely office-based job. They yes. live in a really cold climate, so they're not really outside walking, and they're living in a food environment which is, you know, conducive to them just gaining a stack of weight because their activity is really low. They're really small human to begin with. And yeah. so for <laughs> us to, like, actually achieve a significant amount of weight loss for them, um, if that's their goal, it's like, yeah, that's going to be quite a challenge. It's quite, quite difficult. difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with those particular clients, I've, I've found through experience that, you know, there are many other aspects that we can focus on and improve on um which will still allow them to kind of feel like they are um progressing improving um following a like a healthy lifestyle a fit kind of healthy lifestyle which they want to achieve and kind of adopting that identity of that kind of fit and healthy person which i think is really cool yeah no i 100 percent agree and i think it's just important to have it's just important to have other goals as well mm-hmm. yeah, yeah <laughs> like totally. no matter what like fat loss shouldn't be the be all and end all because i think a lot of people get so caught up in fat loss being their primary and only goal that we forget about all the other things we can like awesome stuff we can do with exercise and nutrition yeah for a lot of people that choose to go down this route of you know losing body fat it's going to be a really confusing time if they're just jumping online and, and kind of trying to figure out how to do it because <laughs> yeah. there's, you know, there's a hundred different ways that you can do it. There's a hundred different methods. Everyone's, you know, kind of promoting one or the other um, or what's on trend right now. And I guess a question for you is, is how does someone go about determining what method is right for them? Or, and, and why do you think there are so many different methods um, to kind of achieve the same thing? Yeah, again, a good question. Um, I think, like, from the perspective of, like, what people should, I guess, look for in a a good approach is it's always going to have to be something that is super personalized and individualized to them that takes into consideration their lifestyle, their food preferences, um, which is why I think working with a good nutrition coach or a dietitian can be particularly helpful because it can it can help you just kind of find what works for you in terms of creating a calorie deficit and, and utilizing probably things we'll talk about in terms of just ways to manage appetite, et cetera. Um, but in terms of why there are so many, um, I guess, ways that are marketed for, for fat loss and so many diets is it's just, it's, a good sell, right? Like it's, um, (laughs) you're going to make a lot of money if you have this kind of special approach that only you know about and um, you're going to be the guy or girl to to come to for this like very awesome specific approach um, where we talk about calorie deficits and doing things like volume eating and like, you know, going up from getting your steps up and, you know, all the stuff that we know is going to help most people create a calorie deficit, but people don't really want to hear that. They want to hear about like that 10 kilos of weight loss that, Jenna from marketing lost doing um, 
a juice cleanse yeah. for two weeks because um, that's sexier yeah. than what we talk about. So I think like it, they just they sell better yeah, those 100%. approaches. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to is like what's sexy and you know people you know whether we like it or not uh, are not great at. Um, delayed gratification so you know if they can yeah. dump a bunch of weight with a juice cleanse it's going to be like yeah i'll go for that option rather than going i'm going to work with leah i'm going to work with jackson for like you know three months four months five months six months and we're going to track our steps and we're going to it's like oh that's it's like, like a whole lifestyle yeah. change and you're like man that seems like a lot of effort compared to this two-week juice cleanse that's right. which i understand <laughs> um but you know obviously we know that those kinds of approaches usually don't work yeah. in the long term so I think I guess the underlying theme of any of these different methods you may see, whether it is the juice cleanse or it's the flexible dieting or it's the carnivore or it's like whatever method you see that is um, promoted for fat loss, the underlying principle of all of those is creating the calorie deficit. Like that is the yes. one thing that people need to recognize is that it's not – there's nothing – um, magic about any of these approaches that achieve something different than a, a normal kind of, I guess, healthy eating diet or whatever. It's all the same thing. It's all, we have to create a calorie deficit. We have mm-hmm. to basically consume a fewer amount of calories, which is your energy coming in per day than we are utilizing for daily movement, activity, digestion, brain function, etc. So we have to create that deficit um, and I think that's the, you know, the big take home for clients is like, you know, don't yeah. be fooled. That is not magic. Um, how do you go about creating the deficit with your clients, Leah? Yeah. And that's going to be a really individual thing. Like there are things that I, I do put in place kind of across the board, just in terms of managing appetite and, um, like desire to eat and stuff throughout the process, but how I approach a fat loss phase is going to be different for each individual person based on like things that change all the time would be like meal frequency, meal timing, food choices. That's all going to be so individual. Um, And it's something that I will, I will learn more about my clients as we go through that process and we try different ways of doing it until we find something that suits them. Um, So I think that process of just tweaking things and trying different things with food choices and timing and and whatnot um, is a huge part of the process for my success with fat loss in in my clients. Mm. Um, But I guess like general things that that I will do, like I I will utilize a lot of um, practices from like volume eating. So eating, you know, your, your high volume, low energy density foods so that you are filling out your stomach a little bit more, even though you're not consuming a a ton of excess calories. Um, So volume eating is great. Keeping fiber intake high for satiety. We know protein per calorie is like the most satiating macronutrient. So even if you're not too concerned with muscle retention, we do want to keep protein intake pretty high just from a satiety factor. Um, And you know, diet breaks are awesome. That's something I will also use with my clients. So looking at not just dieting for forever and ever and ever and ever. And and if you have a long-term goal, we'll break that up into kind of snippets and have phases of maintenance throughout. That's good for a multitude of reasons, Mm. but I do find a 
the biggest benefit from a diet break is that psychological break from dieting is really helpful. Um, And based on research that we've seen with diet breaks, we can know it can reduce your desire to eat and um, reset your like hunger hormones. So throughout the process of being in a deficit, you do tend to get hungrier and hungrier and your desire to eat goes up, which makes the whole process harder because your body's literally fighting against you being like, feed me more. (laughs) Um, So having a diet break at maintenance for, you know, anywhere from kind of two to four weeks throughout that process can kind of just reset all that and bring you back to baseline. So you can have another good successful bout of dieting. So like there are things across the board that I will utilize with my clients, but each individual client is going to have an individual approach. Yeah. And how important do you find it is for people you work with to having them i guess like i don't know if if, if you kind of your systems and how you approach things but usually when you'll have someone come to you you'll probably i guess do some calculations as to kind of how much they need to be consuming on a daily basis Mm. how important do you feel for most of your clients or i'm guessing it's super individual that they are tracking accurately their calories to know hey they they are in a deficit or do you work do you work more so on having clients, uh, you know, kind of utilize more of those kind of practical tools like, hey, like you you kind of know what their, their intake is, but you're going to set them a bit of yeah. an idea of a meal plan and say, hey, look, these are the foods I want you to consume and this will actually put you into that deficit without them kind of having to, um, you know, track everything. I guess it's the it's mm-hmm. the, the weighing up between, I guess, the, the meal plan kind of option versus the tracking kind of option. Tracking. Yeah. Um, And I use both approaches with my clients. Like my go-to like straight off the bat is usually like a flexible nutrition plan where I am providing more of those practical tools about, you know, balanced meals and snack choices, et cetera. And we will just kind of interchange their options on their plan throughout the process. Um, So they don't necessarily have to calorie track in order to be in that deficit they kind of just follow this very flexible nutrition plan that's my preference for a lot of reasons um it's less work for the client um i feel like i have a little bit more control over what's happening where we know like calorie tracking is a great tool do not get me wrong but a lot of people do need quite a lot of training in order to use it effectively Mm -hmm. so i don't think like straight off the bat it's it's an awesome tool um So I I tend to go with the flexible nutrition plan. But um, if a client's like, look, I need more flexibility, I think I can – oh, I've calorie tracked in the past and I've liked it, I will go down that route with them Mm -hmm. and just ensure that they're – their tracking accuracy is is pretty good and um, enough – they're using it effectively so that they can get the outcome they Mm -hmm. want. Um, So I I guess, yeah, I have a preference for my – for like – my system of, of meal plans. Um, but I still think calorie tracking is a really good tool. And I think that it comes down to individualization again, in terms of what's going to work best for that client. Mm. Cause I have a lot of clients who calorie tracking just does not work for right. like it's, they don't want to do it every day. They forget. Um, they just, it's, it's too much for mm. them and they just don't, don't want to do it. And I'm like, that's cool. Follow yeah. this flexible nutrition plan with these practical tools um, and, you know, you'll get the same outcome. So, it, again, it just depends on that client. Yeah, that's really cool. And with that with that flexible nutrition plan, would you be 
uh, kind of giving them like a day or a week and then kind of swapping it out as they get bored or how does that work for you? Yeah. So usually like, I guess what I provide to clients is I will give them a few interchangeable breakfast and snack and dessert options throughout the day. Um, and then I use more of a meal portioning template for lunch and dinner. Um, so that's them being able to go, I'm going to choose my protein, my carb option, my fats and my veggies, and then put that together in a meal based on the portions in their portioning template, which is individualized and and made for them um, so that they can prepare balanced meals that are always going to be roughly the same amount of calories and and protein per Mm. meal, but they have the flexibility of pretty much making whatever they want. Mm. Um, And I'm like a big recipe person. So I always give my clients like huge books of recipes that are portioned out for their specific calorie needs. Mm. Um, And I think like having those practical tools in terms of recipes and um, the portioning template at least adds a lot of flexibility to that plan where you're not having to eat the same thing every day and you still have the flexibility you would have from calorie tracking, but you have to do less of the calculations. So I think that's probably why it's my preference. And then like based on their breakfast and, and snack options, like we'll usually be catching up like once a fortnight. So if they get sick of stuff, we just put new options in that's cool um so you know like that's that's what i like to do yeah it's it's all those benefits and it's also the fact i guess that they are actually getting somewhat of an education as they do that so every time that they're you know using that kind of uh, template model to choose their protein source choose their carb source they're getting a bunch of information that maybe subconsciously is teaching them how to build meals in the future you know when they're no longer yeah. following a, a template or anything like that and i i do a similar thing with my with my clients we do focus a little more on the tracking side of things but it is with a big focus on the education side so mm-hmm. i have a bunch of uh, presentations and courses that they will go through to kind of get them to a point where it's like, okay, they do understand how to build an appropriate meal, you know, that is well balanced and it does have, yes. you know, protein as a focus and, you know, kind of portioning out the rest of it based on their goals and what their needs are. Um, and, you know, other things like you like you mentioned, education on how to uh, increase the volume density of their meals and understanding um, calorie density of different foods and, these types of things that are actually really, really important. Um, but if someone just starts tracking their their food, they won't quite get there. And like you said, they yeah. might not have the accuracy that's potentially needed as well. Um, so there's a few things that need to be put in place, I guess, to ensure that. Was that your cat? I'm so sorry, it was. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't keep them locked out of the office. They'll just meow. <laughs> I love that. Is it a boy or a girl? Um, she's a girl. <laughs> oh, so is she just hanging on the desk with you the whole time? Yeah, she does not leave my side. So, unfortunately, she does do that occasionally. I love that. That's so good. I'm sure that happens, like, with all your client chickens as well. Like, here's my cat. Yeah, they're all, like, really used to my cats, like, either yeah. just being menaces and having zoomies in the background or yes. really trying to jump on my keyboard. <clears throat> Luckily, most of my clients are vegan, so they're like, oh, animals. Amazing. Yeah, they love it. They love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they love it. But, yeah, it's um, it's a little frustrating at times. It'd, it'd, be, it'd be epic if she was just perched on your shoulder the whole uh, the whole podcast. That'd oh, be that'd be so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a case of having all these things in place. Um, you know, it is a little bit tricky to begin with and you do have to have some skills in place and you know you have to know how to weigh specific foods, you have to know how to track different things, mm-hmm. especially when eating out and all these different aspects of yeah. it. Um, 
of course it does provide a lot of learning like like any kind of any kind of intervention there's a lot of learning involved there's a lot of education and i think they can be really beneficial whatever method you follow there um so that again as we talked about previously that when you come out of a fat loss phase and you do start to focus intentionally on maintaining that body weight you've developed these behaviors via tracking or via using a a, a meal template model that you no longer really actually need the external metrics of an app or or a spreadsheet or whatever, you can begin to do that somewhat autonomously based on yeah. you know developed behaviors and habits. And I think that's just so such an important, crucial part of any kind of intervention um, is being able to continue to do that to some extent. I guess it comes back to sustainability, right? Like, can you sustain Absolutely. some aspect of this this like fat loss? intervention these things that you are doing to try and lose body fat can you sustain that for a long period of time like with just a little bit extra food but like can you sustain like the similar meal structure eating times like um types of foods because most mm-hmm. people when they finish the the, the diet quote-unquote diet uh it'll be like oh, i'll just change all my foods again you know i'll just go back to yeah. different foods and i'll just eat at different times again it's like no 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 the whole point is to try and enable you to like sustain somewhat of the structure long term because this is actually going to be good for your health you know yeah absolutely like you don't want to just go straight back to the habits that cause that weight gain in the first place because then you'll just end up straight back you know where you started you do want to be able to sustain some of those some of those good habits that are going to help you maintain your weight even if like you said there there's going to be more food involved because you're maintaining rather than a deficit Um, but you still want to have balanced meals and then potentially eat just regularly throughout the day and have good snack choices and and having those tools and those skills is a really important part of the fat loss process to help you then maintain later yeah it's it's almost like coming back to you mentioned diet breaks before and i utilize diet breaks with clients as well i think they're really really important for all those things you mentioned um for all those reasons but when i do have a client entering a diet break i'm like hey look I don't want you to go and change all the foods you're eating. Like I need you to mm-hmm. eat relatively similar to what you currently are, but I just want you to increase those portion sizes. You know, you can bring your carbohydrates up a little bit. We can we can have a little bit more flexibility. You know, maybe you go out twice this week for a meal, you know, like that type of thing. But the majority of your meals are kind of similar. Um, yes. So that we're still maintaining structure, but we're, not, we're also not um, – kind of introducing all these hyper palatable like super flavorful foods that like it's gonna kind of defeat the purpose of the of the fat loss oh sorry of the diet break as you mentioned there's a huge component of like reducing hunger during a a diet break and reducing the like the psychological toll of a deficit if we bring in all these flavorsome foods suddenly your desire to eat you know skyrockets again even though you're consuming more calories than you were before um so it kind of is it's similar like going into a maintenance a long-term maintenance phase is very similar to you moving into a short-term diet break there's you know very very much the same thing um just with you know a shorter time scale yeah i always frame diet breaks as practicing maintenance or practicing what long-term life is going to look like. So it should look, like you said, very similar to when you are dieting, other than the fact that the food amount is increased. You just consume more calories and potentially there's like a bit more flexibility there in terms of eating out, social events, etc. Um, so it's literally practicing what long-term life is going to look like. And I think even just that in itself 
practicing maintenance is a super important part, especially if you are on a long fat loss journey. Practicing that maintaining phase is something that most people miss out on um, Mm. that I think is a very useful thing. Yeah. 100% 100% agree. Now, Leah, probably all the people listening are wondering, they want to know how do they calculate their macros? They want to know their macros. How do you approach this, Leah? Do you think it's important? What macros uh, are important, aren't important? And I guess, how do people go about actually determining what the macros they should be eating are? Yeah, everybody does want to know their macros. <laughs> I, I honestly, in my opinion, for most people, what matters for a fat loss phase is calories protein and fiber. I think people get really caught up on uh, the fats and carb aspect when it really makes very little difference to the outcomes. Like you could take a slightly lower carb approach, a slightly lower fat approach. It doesn't really matter. It just depends on personal preference um, where people are like, oh no, what's my, like if I'm calorie tracking, what, what fats and carbs do I need to aim for? I'm like, as long as you're staying within your calorie budget and you're getting a high enough protein amount to keep you satiated and to help with muscle retention, I literally could not care less about the rest. Um, unless they're, um, they're an athlete and uh, we are trying to also maintain performance and perhaps their carb availability matters a little bit more, I might be more specific about, okay, make sure you get, you know, a certain amount of carbs for for training and maybe we'll keep fats a little lower for that specific scenario. But across the board for most people, calories and protein are the two things that matter. Um, There's rarely a time where I'll give people um, macros and I'll include a certain amount for fats and carbs. The one thing I would preface is not going too low from a fat perspective. So just ensuring there is enough fats consumed for regular kind of metabolic and hormonal health. So I might give a minimum for fats, but when it comes to fats and carbs, I rarely give, rarely ever give numbers. Um, Just because when we're thinking fat loss outcomes, it's really the calories in versus calories out aspect that matters. And then with a secondary emphasis on protein, just from satiety and muscle retention. So it does have an impact on kind of the body composition outcome, at mm. least of a fat loss phase. Everything else is preference. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't think I could have said a bit of myself, like with, <laughs> with clients, like I will, when I've set them up for like tracking, I will often give them those numbers like fats and carbs as more so a sample or a bit of a guide as to like, okay, a day of eating that is probably going to allow you to feel decently satiated, have mm-hmm. a lot of food flexibility, um, you know, have somewhat flavorsome meals. Um, and that, like you mentioned, isn't too low in fats for those health reasons, um, isn't crazy too low in carbs for like energy reasons. Like mm-hmm. this is kind of how a day of eating will look with your carbs and your fats. But I make it very, very clear to them that it actually doesn't really matter. Like what I need you to do is focus on the calories and the protein. And eventually what I do with pretty much all of my clients is I do use a spreadsheet where they will enter in their numbers for me. And 
I will eventually just get rid of the columns for the carbs and the fats because I'm like, yeah. I don't care. I actually don't want to know. Um, and I don't think you need to worry about it either. So it just takes away that kind of like focus for them, you know, because they've kind of by that point, they've got a, a decently well planned out pattern of eating that, you know, they're never going to be too low in anything or too high and other things. I've kind of established like, okay, this is how I can structure my meals. So then it's just like, cool. Are we hitting our protein? Are we hitting our calories? Sweet, two big ticks in the boxes. We're probably going to you know, get the most of our. We are going to get the most of our benefit out of that. Yeah. Your mentioned fiber. Why is that important? The only reason I mentioned fiber is just from a satiety perspective. We want to make sure that that is you know re- like relatively high or you know moderate amount. Just just so we are satiated, um, and that's more just looking at food choices overall for the day. So I will usually include a fiber target if someone is tracking. Although if they're plant based or vegan, rarely do I ever have to worry about inadequate fiber intake. Um, but you know it's good to have a target there i think because it then just puts the emphasis on dietary quality at least yes 100 percent. yeah it's kind of like look if if you've got a decently high fiber intake like 30 grams plus a day i know you're going to be eating some quality foods like it's a game you know what i mean i mean well you know i guess there are a bunch of processed foods that now include like fiber (laughs) fortification so you've got like your fiber one bars or like you know your fiber supplements yeah like if someone has that in their tracking i'm like okay we could probably substitute this for like (laughs) actual fruit and vegetables (laughs) yeah that's right Um, but most of the time if their fiber intake is adequate i look through and i'm like they're having fruit with breakfast every day, veggies for lunch and dinner. They're having some seeds. They're eating some legumes. Like usually the dietary quality is better overall. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's a case of like, look, you can lose you can lose body fat, you can lose weight, you can achieve your goals with a pretty shitty diet in regards to like the nutrient like quality of your mm-hmm. diet like that's that's doable like you, you've seen it even in even in research like there's that classic like twinkie study i'm sure you've read that one where like yeah the, the professor ate like i don't know how many twinkies it was a day but a stack load of twinkies um and had like a protein shake and a couple of like vitamin tablets a day just to like keep himself at like some decent level of health but just to kind of like show like as a you know case study i can lose weight eating the shittest food around which is a twinkie but yeah. um you know but it doesn't mean to say that that's an appropriate choice like you can lose fat that way but look probably have a look at your fiber and that will make sure that you're actually eating some decent foods in the process and like we've alluded to many times already in this podcast uh it will ensure that long term you're continuing to follow like some kind of decently planned diet um Mm -hmm. one thing i wanted to touch on with you leah was in regards to meal timing you did allude to it a little bit earlier and i'd love to hear your views on what is important for meal timing specifically for fat loss um Mm -hmm. and then we can maybe you know have a small chat around some of maybe the health outcomes of of different uh time restricted eating patterns um Mm -hmm. But what would you say are like the main pros and cons of meal timing for fat loss? Yeah. So again, it's like, it's a big personal preference thing, but I find most people benefit from eating fairly regularly throughout the day to manage overall hunger cues. So they don't end up getting too hungry and overeating. So kind of looking at that 
every three-ish hours, you know, having your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, morning tea, afternoon tea, maybe supper. Mm-hmm. Most people benefit from spreading their calorie intake fairly evenly across the day from an appetite management perspective. But that's not to say that I haven't absolutely come across clients who benefit more from having three big meals a day and no snacks. And that's their preference for eating and and maintaining a calorie deficit and appetite management. So I think that's something that you can really play around with to find exactly what works for you. Um, Some people will skip breakfast and start eating later in the day, and that will be really beneficial for them and their appetite management. Other people will try to do that, get so hungry by lunchtime that they end up making a poor food choice or overeating. Um, So different strokes for different folks when it comes to meal timing, meal frequency. Um, When it comes to athletes, we do have to have a little bit of um, our head around kind of timing around training and and things like that. Um, But for most people, there's no like hard and fast rules. It's what works for you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It seems to be that with fat loss, there's no real, um, you know, there's no benefit to, say, a time-restricted eating or if, you know, people would probably know the term intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, there's no real benefit in terms of, like, fat loss. There's also no real downside in terms of, like, you know, people might be have some kind of fear of, like, muscle loss or something like that. Look, as long mm-hmm. as you've got your, your protein at, you know, the recommended targets and you're doing some – um, decent resistance training, some some strength training throughout the week, you're not going to see a difference there. Like there's been studies done that have compared, you know, uh, those protocols before and yeah. seen seen no muscle loss, you know, when when having a, uh, I think it was a, I think the study I'm thinking about was a, they ate, I think it was only one meal a day, but it was like significant protein and resistance training compared to like, you know, three meals a day. And, you know, the one meal a day didn't actually lose lose muscle throughout the intervention. Mm-hmm. So it's a case of like it's probably not a big issue for, you know, muscle retention. But when it comes to like I think the biggest thing like you've already mentioned is just what's going to allow you to, I guess, be successful on a day-to-day basis in regards to like your satiety and your hunger. Um, yeah. I think so much of, of fat loss is just managing. It's managing hunger. that because like yeah. the reason you're going to fall off usually is because you're hungry or you want specific foods. And it's like, it's about managing your appetite and your mm. satiety. Cause if you can manage that the best you can, then you're really setting yourself up for the most success in terms of compliance. Yeah. It's probably like, I mean, let's jump into that. Like what would be, some of your main strategies for hunger management. Um, I yeah. have a presentation that I send to my clients that's like my my sort of 10 hunger management strategies, but I'd love to um, hear some of yours if you've got any. Yeah, so I have like briefly mentioned them before, but it's going to be like that volume eating. It's going to be having a relatively high protein intake for satiety, um, not going too low on fats, having adequate fiber, Um a meal timing and meal frequency that suits you and your preferences, diet breaks, Mm. Um, even just looking at uh, like desire to eat and eat like specific food choices. I like to include some amount of like fun foods in people's plans. So we're kind of hitting on that. So that's not like complete deprivation and restriction the whole time. Um, But yeah, those are kind of the usual tools that I will utilize across the board. Yeah, I love that. One of my clients I'm working with at the moment in the States, she is um, 
a smaller individual, like I was mentioning earlier. And so the calories are pretty low, but she, like in order to, you know, as you mentioned, to try and ensure that she's not completely deprived of all joy, <laughs> um, yeah. she aims to keep like a couple of like ciders in her um in her like eating pattern each week. So yeah. like certain events she goes to and she's like, right, I want my two ciders or whatever they are. I don't think the ciders are something else, but they're like a low calorie alcoholic drink. And I'm like, yeah, we could probably cut that out and like eat a orange and a banana instead. But like, you know, that's a, that's, that's an important. It's what you part. enjoy. Yeah. It's so important because it's going to ensure that she can sustain what she's doing. And she's been incredibly um, consistent at sustaining her, her intake over, you know, eight weeks we've been working together now um, and seen great change because she's been able to manage a low calorie intake. Obviously there's a significant amount of hunger there, um, Mm -hmm. but she's not completely deprived because we've had, you know, the ability to be flexible with her food choice and not every day is going to be like, perfectly designed to be all health focused there's going to be some days where she has a couple of drinks or she has um a cookie or you know and she she always writes that in her (laughs) her notes she's like tonight i had a cookie emergency but it's like okay she had like one cookie that's fantastic like i want her to be able to include those um into Mm -hmm. her plan but one thing i do want to make clear to people that anyone is looking at a fat loss intervention is or a fat loss diet is to actually accept that hunger is a part of it like Mm. you cannot go in obviously there i mean i've worked with people that don't feel hungry throughout a fat loss phase because like you mentioned they're doing some volumizing techniques with their foods um and they're probably an individual that just doesn't have a huge appetite in the first place but majority of people need to accept a certain level of hunger and almost like learn to like i don't know um at least it works for me uh somewhat like enjoy the feeling of the hunger like almost lean into it to be like no this is part of the process this is part of the plan um i am going to be hungry i need to accept that so like it's kind of working like i'm hungry okay i I know i'm 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 in a good place for like my deficit you know obviously you don't want to take that too far but it's like you know you have to accept that going in Yeah, you kind of need to find that sweet spot where like, yeah, okay, there'll be a bit of hunger there, but you don't want it to be so like painful and like aggressive that you're like, oh my God, I'm going to murder somebody every day. Like it shouldn't be like that, at least not for a long-term fat loss goal. Um, But yeah, there is absolutely going to be some hunger at some point. And even like we talk a lot about appetite management strategies, but even if you, in my opinion, if you do those appetite management strategies for the long term, like let's say you incorporate a lot of volume eating, high protein intake, you're doing all that good stuff. If you are in a calorie deficit for long enough, I think your body's going to kind of cue on to the fact you are in a deficit, you're losing weight. So it's just going to push your hunger cues up regardless of your appetite management strategies. Mm. So you will eventually, even though you're doing all that stuff, if you weren't hungry to begin with, that probably will creep up over time, in which case going back to diet breaks can Mm. be really useful for that. But yeah, some hunger is definitely to be expected. And I think a lot of people go into that process expecting there to be no hunger. Like, oh, if you're doing it right, you're not going to be hungry at all. When that's not the case, you are literally under fueling your body on purpose. So Mm. your body's natural response is going to be giving you hunger cues. You just sparked my um, 
my brain to ask a question around this is probably quite common for people who are not working with a coach they start a diet maybe they're tracking maybe they're not whatever they get to a point where they're like i'm eating the same and nothing's happening how do you approach that with people because there is you know you alluded to it just then the fact that you you really just can't keep going forever and expect to continue to see the same results because the reality is over time like you said your body's pretty smart it's not so happy about being in this deprived state and <laughs> it's going to ramp up it's going to ramp up hunger it's going to slowly start to decrease um, energy expenditure through various different modes mm-hmm. in your in your in your in your life like re- mainly regarding your daily activity levels your subconscious and conscious activity levels will start to decrease um, and you'll no longer be in that same level of deficit and there will probably come to a point where you're no longer seeing the same results you were in the beginning. What do you do when you get there? Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can go about like a fat loss plateau. Like if you were getting really good results, eating a certain amount of calories, eating a certain way, and then all of a sudden that's kind of tapered off and you're no longer getting those results. It it really depends on why that has occurred in terms of what you should then do to counteract that. I think like the most obvious thing is going to be, well, simply decrease your calories. If you're no longer losing weight, it means you're no longer in a deficit. So you may just need to aim for a smaller amount of calories to continue that process. And that's going to make a lot of sense if you have lost a fair bit of weight. Like if you are physically smaller, you are going to be burning less energy just through your basal metabolic rate or your metabolism, as well as activity because you're smaller. Therefore, you're going to have to cut your calories to continue losing weight. Um, But then you have the aspect, you kind of touched on it in terms of metabolic adaptation and your body does tend to decrease your metabolism slightly. Like it's not usually like the number one reason people plateau, but it can be a contributing factor. Um, uh, So it might be that, yeah, you're burning less through that and therefore need to decrease your calories further to, to counteract a little bit of that. Um, otherwise you could kind of go into how you'd counteract metabolic adaptation with longer diet breaks. But I think that's probably like a whole other podcast in itself. So I won't, I won't go down that route. Um, but yeah, like decreasing your calories overall, it could be looking at your compliance for a lot of people. Like if you're on a long-term weight loss journey, usually because your hunger increases, because your desire to eat increases, your compliance might fall off a little bit or even just like the motivation you have in week one is going to look very different usually to the motivation you have in week 10. So potentially without you even recognizing it, maybe your calorie tracking is less accurate. Maybe there's more grazing. Maybe there's less general activity, like your habits have just changed. So it might be going back to like, okay, how can we kind of dial things back in so that I'm on the same calorie deficit that I was, you know, eight weeks ago, or at least like the same calorie amount. Um, Cause you can, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm going for the exact same numbers, but their habits have actually changed. <laughs> um, so it's about kind of dialing it back in. And I think if you have gotten to that point though, and like habits have changed tra- quite drastically or motivation is low, again, diet breaks. (laughs) I think like you probably just need a psychological break from that diet, bit of a reset, go again. Um, So yeah, I think there's like a lot of ways you can approach 
a, a plateau, but it's all about getting you back into that deficit, whether it's improving compliance or reducing your your calorie intake or increasing your your energy expenditure through more exercise. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it's not the metabolic adaptation, it's just the fact you forgot to log <laughs> the, the three pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> like I like to mention like it is a factor. Like let's say you um yeah. you're you know eating in a daily deficit of like 500 calories and you're doing that for a few months. Okay, over the course of that few months, maybe your metabolism through metabolic adaptation alone has reduced by 100 calories. Okay, so now you've gone from a 500 calorie per day deficit to a 400 calorie day deficit just based on metabolic adaptation alone, but it's never going to be, okay, I am in a 500 calorie per day deficit and now all of a sudden because of metabolic adaptation, I am burning 500 calories less per day. Mm. It's not going to completely cancel it out. It's just like a potential contributing factor that can make fat loss a little bit harder in the long term. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a great clarification to make. Um, I think big takeaways, what I'm hearing from you from this episode, Leah, is just diet breaks. Diet breaks. Also, <laughs> I think they're things that like, people miss out on diet. Uh, I could go on and on about diet yeah. breaks. I'm pretty sure like on the Ideal Nutrition podcast that I have with um, my coworker Aiden, like we've done several episodes just on diet breaks alone because we're both yeah. big advocates for them. That's great. Um, just because I think they work so goddamn well. <laughs> I think there's so many benefits to to diet breaks that I think they should be utilized more than they are, but they should also be utilized in a way that is beneficial. Like it's not just like a free for all for two weeks. It is that structured, you know, maintenance that is going to be a practice for later on. But I know I think that's absolutely key for you to bring that point up because if people aren't kind of like us reading all the stuff around diet breaks or, you know, all the discussion around them, they probably, they might have the idea that it is just a complete break. Like it's a free for all. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying it needs to be controlled uh, mm-hmm. because you don't like the, the point of the diet break is to have that break psychologically, physiologically um, in order to come back and have further success in your weight loss. So you don't want to have this free for all so that, you know, two weeks later or a week later you come back and, you know, you've kind of, you've somewhat reverted some of the progress you've already made. Keep in mind that during a diet break, there is going to be some level of, for most people, I've seen it not be the case for some, but for most people, there will be some level of weight gain during a diet break. Um, But as I was discussing this with a a client just this morning, there's almost, yeah, there's basically no chance any of that's body fat. It's generally just an increase in in carbohydrate storage, glycogen in the the muscles and in the liver and the water storage alongside that. Of course, there's a little bit of extra um, food going through the digestive tract, all of this mm-hmm. stuff adds to a bit of, you know, total weight, uh, from a diet break, but recognizing that early, accepting that that's going to be a part of it. And you knowing that, okay, cool. In a week's time and two weeks time and four weeks time, however long the diet break is, I'm going to be right back onto my fatless phase. And I'm going to be better for it. A hundred percent. Like you're going to get that, that scale weight increase that's pretty much inevitable but um that's also like that's going to happen at the end of your diet anyway coming out of a deficit so like i guess mentally being prepared for that fluctuation weight is important anyway yeah 100 percent. i love that um one thing we haven't really touched on i guess is in relation to like exercise and and fat loss 
And it's probably an area that is um, <laughs> almost like too focused on with the general population and, and I think general people trying to lose lose weight. In saying that, I do think there's a huge benefit to people increasing daily activity and that's why I have I have a big focus on step count with my clients. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really important part and we can dive into that. Um, but I don't think, you know, cardio, specific cardio for fat loss is, is that important or or is really that complex. How do you approach cardio and, and sort of exercise for your clients when it comes to fat loss? I guess from my perspective as a dietitian, I don't prescribe exercise. So that's definitely out of my scope of practice. That's just mm-hmm. not in my skill set. Um, but if I'm generally advising a client, I'm going to work their nutrition around whatever their training is. Like I'm like, yeah, if you have like a very sedentary person that's not doing much activity, I'm like, yeah, maybe go see this person. You could benefit from doing more general activity to help with this fat loss phase. But I'm never going to prescribe like a specific, you should do cardio, you should do weight training, you should do this many days a week for like the specific fat loss outcome. Um, I like my general stance on it is do the amount of activity that you can see yourself sustaining for a long period of time and do the kind of activity that you enjoy. If you can do those things and and obviously do some activity, um, we can do the rest through food. If you're trying to, let's say you're a a mom of three kids, a busy household, and you go, okay, I'm going to train six days a week. I'm going to go and get 12,000 steps a day. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm like, and I do something I'm not, I don't enjoy. Okay. That's not really sustainable. Like maybe yeah. just choose something that is going to be sustainable long-term for weight maintenance. And that's what will work around for your fat loss phase. Like I think people are way too, they like think they need to do this very specific thing from an exercise perspective to get the fat loss outcome, but really just do some activity mm, <laughs> and, yeah. and you're good. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I think, you know, there's, most of the focus of course should be on your you know creating that deficit through your diet it's really where the most of the results are going to come from um from a general health perspective like it's a great idea like you said just to be more active you know um and i think having some accountability to a daily step count is a great way to do that for people Mm -hmm. specifically people like i mentioned previously in the in the earlier in the podcast like people who are working in an office all day long they are in a cold climate they're not going outside it's like they're really not moving and yeah when you can look at a stack of research now on you know matching up step counts to um to i guess levels of of disease risk and and mortality and it's like yeah probably like between seven to nine thousand steps a day is a really good place for people to sit and a lot of people sadly in the modern day aren't even getting there so i think having that in place is is just a real good a real good habit to put in place whether you're in a fat loss phase or not um Mm -hmm. and then when it comes to like traditional cardio whether it's like you know sitting on a, a a bike or a rower or it's doing like interval training or whatever i'm like if you're gonna do that stuff do it for the cardiovascular benefits don't do it for the fat loss benefits because the the effort to to benefit for fat loss is like the ratio is very very skewed 
Um, and it's just a lot of effort, a lot of hard work when the calorie burn is, is very small for that amount of time. So it's like you're probably better using that time um, to yeah focus on nutrition or maybe go lift some weights. It's going to be really important for you know maintaining that muscle tissue and, and actually having the body compos- composition you probably want from yeah. the fat loss phase in the first place. But yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, like go like do something you enjoy. Like I took up roller skating as a, as a way to get in like more general activity. Like um, so cool. go do a social sport. Go do something you that is fun and enjoyable and sustainable. Um, I think a lot of people talk about like that fat burning zone when it comes to cardio and exercise of having that low intensity sustained exercise being you know better for fat burning and I'm technically you do burn more fat as a fuel source doing that kind of exercise but that doesn't necessarily you are losing fat like those two (laughs) things are equated a lot of the time Um, but we know that you need to be in a calorie deficit to lose fat just because you are burning fat as a fuel source more so than carbohydrates during an exercise period does not equate to fat loss and I think that's something that people probably put too much of an emphasis on um, when it really makes no difference. I love that. You've sparked my interest now. How do you do the roller skating? Do you just cruise in? Are you doing like tricks and stuff? Like what are you doing? (laughs) Well, I really want to do like park skating, like so like ramps and tricks and stuff, but I'm still getting the basics down because <laughs> yeah. um, it's like yeah. <laughs> yeah it's harder than I expected so I've been roller skating for like a year and a half now uh-huh. and um I just like look it's just an exercise that I find myself wanting to do on a weekend or That's after so work cool. yeah in, in addition to powerlifting because powerlifting is you know we we do a lot of like obviously the weight training but we probably don't do enough cardio as powerlifters (laughs) so like that was my i'm I'm not gonna get on a treadmill i'm not gonna go for daily walks every day like i'm just i'm not i don't enjoy it yeah but i can get on my roller skates a few times a week and roll around so i think finding something you enjoy is huge or at least something you don't hate (laughs) something that you can sustain Yes, 100%. I yeah. think like for me, it's like having a dog just like solves that whole problem because it's like yes. if I didn't <laughs> have, have my dog, dog for a walk. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be that active. But like it's like, well, he's waiting, you know, like I better go take him out. And, you know, yeah. and it's something that I like I do enjoy. Um, and, you know, some days I'll be listening to a podcast. Other days I'll just be in nature and we'll be hanging out or we'll be playing or whatever. But it's like that solidifies my activity on a daily basis and i'll probably you know i'll i'll keep having dogs for the rest of my life purely for that reason alone it keeps me busy it keeps me active keeps me adventuring yeah. outdoors you know um so i think it's just a, it's just it's a great way to go but okay so we've covered heaps here um was there anything you wanted to to bring up around fat loss that we haven't covered that you think like is essential for people to know no, I think we've I think we've covered a lot in this podcast. We've kind of gone over like heaps of practical advice, um, when you should think maybe about not doing a fat loss phase, which I think is important. Um, but I think just overall having that focus on that lifestyle change rather than a quick fix. Like I know everybody says it, but it's huge. If you want to actually maintain the the weight loss that you've you've done. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. So to finish, Leah, I wanted to do something a little different I haven't done before. It's a quick fire round, and mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a bunch of different words or topics, and you're just going to answer with either overrated or under or underrated. Oh, okay. 
yeah so each topic one word we can we can maybe like give you a little bit of clarification if you need to uh on why you said that but uh we'll s- let's let's start you ready yeah go for okay it. carbs Ooh, <laughs> underrated <laughs> underrated okay good I'm glad you said underrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, in what context? <laughs> yeah, what context? That's the problem with this one. We can't give you some context. But no, that's okay. Underrated. <laughs> Detoxes. Overrated. Counting steps. Underrated. Eating at night. Eating at night. It under Overrated. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a hard one. <laughs> it doesn't. You can do both at the same time, underrated and overrated. Indifferent. I like that. Uh, fat burners. Overrated. High intensity interval training or HIT. Overrated. Keto. Overrated. Uh, tracking calories. This will be a good one. Ooh, Ooh. I think. I think it's. I think it's overrated. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, using body weight scales. Definitely overrated. They suck. <laughs> they suck. Nah, nah, I, um, no, I, I don't mind scale weights. Scale weight's an awesome thing, but I think people put way too much focus on it. Mm, that's great. Fasting. Overrated. And last one for your protein shakes. Oh, look, they're definitely overrated. I don't think they're necessary a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm pretty sure um, we're on the same page on all of those, so that's fine. <laughs> we have the same opinions. Especially in, re- yeah, especially in regards to carbs. Yeah, if you said the other one, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I won't, I yeah. won't, I, I won't put this episode up. <laughs> <laughs> no, carbs are definitely underrated. Eat your carbs. They make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred um, percent. Okay, cool. So that's it. Hey, do you want to plug away? Tell us where to find you. What you're up to? What's going on mm-hmm. for 2023? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at plantstrong underscore dietitian. That's where I post a lot of my content. I do a lot of like practical vegan sports related stuff there. Um, and I also have a podcast called the Ideal Nutrition Podcast with I do with my coworker Aiden, and we talk about all things nutrition related pretty much across the board. Um, And if you wanted to book in with me, I am taking clients for 2023 and that's through uh, Ideal Nutrition. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll link it all for you. But hey, Leah, thanks so much for coming on. Like this was a great discussion. I think, yeah, like you said, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I know it's going to be highly beneficial for the listeners to have a bit more of a, a deeper dive into, you know, the the ins and outs of setting up a fat loss uh, diet or program and, you know, kind of knowing uh, whether it's right for you or not and what are some of the things to look out for. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. It was always a pleasure to chat with you. And I know this one will be a, a massive hit like the last one as well. So, um, yeah, thanks so much, Leah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, there we go, guys. So episode 46 done and dusted. It's good to be back. It's good to be back on the mic. It's good to be back talking with you. 
and putting out some quality content. That one was a huge episode, so I would recommend maybe having a, another listen at some point in the future, just so you can gain some of the insight that you maybe missed during this one. Uh, but I do want to thank Leah for coming on and crushing that one. It was super sick. As always, it's uh, really helpful for the show if you want to share it with a friend uh, or shoot through a quick review on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. really helps the podcast reach more people. Um, also, I've popped Leah's links in the show notes, so be sure to give her a follow and check out some of her stunning content over on IG. Now, if you're looking for nutrition coaching specifically, I would highly recommend checking out what Leah does. She knows her stuff, as you can tell, um, and would be a great person to have in your corner. I unfortunately don't have any currently uh, have any spots open for full nutrition coaching with my Fat Loss Mastery program. Uh, however, I'm taking on clients specifically for training only. So I have two versions of my coaching. I have an all-in version where people work on nutrition and training with me, and I have a training-only uh, coaching program where I design programs specifically for the individual, for you, for your lifestyle, for your you know your goals and current uh, limitations, etc. And update those every six weeks or so using an app that we use to program for our clients. So it's a really cool system, um, really in-depth. You'll learn a lot to be able to educate yourself on the ins and outs of training, progression, intensity methods, um, and really just level up your time in the gym. So if that's something you're interested in, I'd love to design something for you. Um, so as I said, I'm taking on training clients only, so you can head to veganbody.com dot coach and check that out or if you're on instagram just check out my link tree and you'll find a link to head straight to the training only page cool cool guys so that's it for me great to be back as i said episode 46 and i got a few goodies coming up to finish up this season and of course i'll finish up with some best of episodes best of season three uh, with some of the standout episode standout snippets from episodes over the last season so look out for that one as well i always love those ones and they get a lot of hits as well that's a team we'll catch you in the next one